welcome back to another episode of Guidepost in Motion, a podcast highlighting risk, compliance, and security professionals with insights meant to keep you, your business, and your operations moving forward. My name is Julie Myers-Wood, and I'm the CEO of Guidepost Solutions. I'm very honored today joining our podcast to have Dan Burstein. Dan's a former Guidepost alum, uh, and he's currently the general counsel and chief compliance officer at Paxos Trust Company. Paxos is a New York-based financial technology company specializing in blockchain. The company's product offerings include a cryptocurrency brokerage service, asset tokenization services, and a Bitcoin exchange. Today, Dan is here to talk to us about the increasing openness of banking regulators generally towards crypto, even allowing traditional financial institutions to offer cryptocurrency payment services. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Julie. Dan, before we talk about the current trends that we're seeing in crypto, I think our listeners would be interested in learning more about you and your background, how you went from a lawyer to guidepost uh, to Paxos with a stop at a regulator. Tell us a little more about your career. Sure. Thanks for uh, asking. Um, I started out uh, after law school at Wilkie, Farr & Gallagher as an associate there doing uh, litigation and defense of regulatory and government investigations. Eventually moved over to the New York State Department of Financial Services, uh, which was at that time a very new and emerging regulatory agency following the merger between the New York State Banking and Insurance Departments. Um, so it was really an opportunity to uh, uh, to build this uh, th- this new emerging regulator from the uh, from the bottom up. Uh, I was an executive deputy superintendent there. Ultimately became uh, acting chief of staff, and um, you know had a lot of exposure among other things to. Uh, a lot of the enforcement actions that were going on there, as well as the emergence of the uh, the first in the nation uh, bit license and uh, cryptocurrency regulation. Coming out of uh, DFS in 2016, I went to work for you, Julie, at Guidepost, and it was a, uh, a tremendous opportunity to really help build up that financial services practice um, that that was uh, that was going so well there, and and, and still is working on monitorships and uh, investigations, internal investigations, as well as compliance uh, engagements, compliance advisory work. And it was that last category that really uh, led me to Paxos. Um, uh, One of uh, Guidepost's clients and one of my clients uh, uh, when I was at Guidepost uh, was Paxos, uh, came in initially as uh, just to do a sort of uh, regulatory uh, uh, compliance advisory um, engagement there, and it really expanded to um, being their uh, their acting uh, chief compliance officer, acting head of legal, um, and eventually, uh, as much as it uh, broke my heart to leave Guidepost because I really enjoyed my time there, um, or there was a tremendous opportunity for me at Paxos to uh, to become general counsel and chief compliance officer there. Oh, thank you. It definitely broke our hearts when you went over to Paxos, but certainly such a great opportunity. And I'm sure now you see, you know, tons of resumes kind of coming your direction, people that are interested in getting involved in crypto, working at Paxos. What sort of general advice would you give to um, younger entrants to the market who are interested in working in crypto? 
Yeah, it's 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 a great space and a really emerging field. I mean, it's it's amazing that uh, because there's there's been such growth in this industry, there's there are so many job opportunities. Please go to paxos.com/careers and, uh, and and come check us out. Um, apologies for that quick plug, but you know more than that. Uh, you know, anywhere in this industry, if you get a little bit of experience, you're going to have a lot of experience because, you know, you become one of the world's leading experts in digital assets after six months or so. And uh, because the, the, the learning curve is so steep and there's just there, there's not that many people out there who know this stuff. So I would encourage you to come in if you're a lawyer, you can learn all about the legal side of digital assets. If you're in operations, if you're in information security, if you're in uh, finance, there, there are plenty of places for you in this industry. Well, certainly Paxos has been on the forefront in this industry, on the forefront of really building a foundation for a financial system where all assets from money to commodity to securities can be digitized and move instantaneously. Of course, I know you're very proud. It was the first exchange to be licensed to offer stablecoin by your former employer, the Department of Financial Services. And then this past week, Paxos experienced another first when the OCC announced that it has granted the company preliminary conditional approval to charter Paxos National Trust. This makes Paxos the first crypto native company to receive this preliminary conditional approval for a de novo National Trust Bank charter. It's very exciting news. Tell us more about that and the overall growth that the company has experienced and maybe a little bit about what's on the horizon. Sure. Uh, thanks for asking. And yeah, thanks for the congratulations. We're excited about it. Paxos is uh, on a mission to uh, allow the movement of any asset anytime in a trustworthy way. And um, this latest news goes to the trustworthiness. We've always been a company that's all about asking for permission rather than forgiveness and being regulation first. And the reason we want to do that is, is not just because it's the right thing to do, which of course it is, um, but, but it also offers us a competitive advantage. Um, the reason for that is because um, we are working with a lot of uh, important uh, partners in the, um, in the digital asset space. For example, PayPal, um, we are the, the infrastructure that allows uh, PayPal to offer its customers um, access to digital assets. And um, we're, we're just having a lot of conversations through this crypto brokerage service to enable enterprise partners to um, offer uh, digital assets to their, to their own customers. And what that really gets us is, uh, what they're looking for, what those partners are looking for in this context is um, that they want a regulated, reliable, trustworthy partner. And so, you know, it's in our interest to really build up what we call our regulatory stack and to become the most regulated entity in the industry because um, these companies are looking for to partner with uh, very sophisticated institutions like themselves to, you know, trust but verify and then verify again. And um, so what, what the uh, New York State Trust Charter got us in 2015 was to become the gold standard of regulated entities, um, New York being the, the sort of rate, uh, gold standard of state regulators. And now with the OCC, um, the, the national uh, bank regulator in the U.S., uh, having offered us, having given us preliminary conditional approval for Paxos National Trust, um, we have the opportunity to build a national trust bank um, with the OCC, which is really the gold standard in national regulators. 
a lot, lot still to come. This is really helping us build up our infrastructure so that we can partner with uh, bigger and more sophisticated partners in addition to smaller and, uh, and, and newer partners um, to, uh, uh, to really service all our customers across the board with a crypto brokerage service, as well as through what we call stablecoin as a service. Stablecoin is a dollar-backed uh, token um, digital asset where um, dollars uh, are held in reserve by Paxos, and we will issue a stablecoin that has all of the reliability and um, regulatory features of a regulated stablecoin, which it is, um, but with a partner's name on it. Currently, we're doing that for Binance uh, in a token called BUSD, and hope to do that more in the future through this stablecoin as a service. It sounds like there are a lot of exciting things going on over at Paxos. So really uh, neat to see how much the company has grown in just a couple of years. And, you know, with your leadership there, I'm sure we'll be kind of heading out uh, and and doing even more tremendous things. Um, But you mentioned the OCC a little bit earlier. And the OCC and other regulators historically had been a little bit skeptical, right, of cryptocurrency, digital currency. It's taken them a while to come around. Of course, um, you know, last year they permitted banks to be crypto custodians. You know, they're allowing now traditional financial institutions to offer cryptocurrency payment. Why do you think we're seeing the trend for the OCC and other regulators to be more open to digital currency and cryptocurrency? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's really a lot of maturation in the industry um, and therefore maturation of regulation around it. Um, You know, in 2015, when Paxos got its trust charter and I was at DFS at the time, um, that was after three years of working with DFS around that. And the reason that it took so long and that it was such a sort of laborious process was, you know, there wasn't really an understanding uh, by the regulators, and there couldn't be, uh, of really what, what are we getting ourselves into? What are the risks around the industry? Where, where are the pressure points and where uh, are, the, are, are the places where we're sort of uh, safe and acting with consistent with best practices? Who are the trusted players? And so what we're seeing now is, is um, you know, there are companies like Paxos that have been around for several years that have a, a history of, of operating within the law and within the regulation. Um, there have been a number of high profile bad things that have happened. And uh, we know uh, we, we have a better sense of what are those risks and how to avoid them. Um, and I think the regulators are really uh, responding to that, um, both in terms of being able to sort of set the appropriate uh, guardrails around uh, ar- around the sort of safe conduct of crypto business, um, as well as uh, really sort of understanding um, who are the more trusted players in the space and recognizing that you know this is really a one-way street that that the evolution and adoption of crypto and digital assets is going to happen and let's accept that and let's uh, just put the uh, uh, put the right restrictions around that um, rather than sort of trying to prohibit it or drive it underground do you think that the recent uh, announcement in China and the activity there with the digital um, the digital currency is affecting the regulators' uh, openness towards innovation, or do you think they would be moving in that direction in any event, just as the industry is maturing overall? 
Yeah, I'm not sure I can sort of separate those two things <laughs> because uh, in a way that there's uh, the regulators in China and the, uh, you know, as well as the authorities there and around the world are really looking at uh, digital asset adoption, seeing what the power of the technology is um, and blockchain technology to have an immutable record where, um, you know, we can all have sort of what, what we think of in blockchain as basically a, a, a great big shared database. Um, and, you know, how do we apply that to different industries, including money? And so um, th the same thing that's driving private sector growth is also driving public sector adoption um, through the, uh, the adoption in China of a central bank digital currency. We're seeing other central bank digital currency projects um, in other countries where basically a country is adopting uh, blockchain technology and the notion of a token as their own money. And that's, you know, th th that's a trend that's really exciting for us in the industry. And um, it's something that, that I think the that central banks in the U.S. will see and will are, are certainly pursuing. And it's something that regulators are looking at as, OK, well, if governments are interested in being involved in digital assets, certainly private sector should be uh, able to, to do this safely as well. No, I think that's I think that's right. I do think though China moving forward with this development of the sovereign digital currency um, is an impetus for the regulators in other places to move more quickly um, and to see that uh, you know uh, you can't can't always fight them. You might need to join them in terms of thinking about you know the new new way of doing business. And part of that is an openness to digital currency. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And the fact that there's uh, that, that's, uh, there's some competition between China and the U.S. and um, for for sort of supremacy of currency and the um, the, the the notion of the U.S. continuing to uh, serve and the U.S. dollar continuing to serve as the reserve currency is something that's really going to be uh, important in terms of uh, the evolution of this space from the the government's perspective. I think that's absolutely right. And and often, you know, the U.S. in trying to push back uh, developments in China for its own competitive advantage uses, you know, export compliance laws or other things that may not work here in the same sort of way. And so, of course, uh, you know, I think that's uh, making the national security leads in the U.S. kind of think about, you know, what's what's our play and how do we engage here in a um in an appropriate way that makes sense. And speaking of kind of an appropriate play and what makes sense, a lot of the traditional banks who previously kind of sat on the sidelines are now getting more interested, particularly of course, with the openness of the regulators in um, getting involved in offering cryptocurrency um, ability for their customers. Uh, what do you think about this trend? What are you seeing in this, you know, area? And what should traditional financial institutions be thinking about if they want to enable their customers to buy crypto? Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that uh, what we're seeing in the uh, in the industry is um, is really being uh, somewhat led by the, the regulators putting out the call. For example, the OCC saying. Um, as you mentioned, Julie, that uh, OCC-regulated banks can uh, safely custody crypto assets, can participate in the payment rails, can can custody stablecoin reserves. They're basically out there saying the water's warm, come on in. And uh, you know, from a lot of conversations that we've been having, 
um, entities and banks and, and other sophisticated financial institutions are really responding um, and thinking about how they can offer these types of uh, crypto services to their customers. And so what, what they want to be thinking about is, um, well, first of all, what, what is their offering going to be? Are they going to be uh, offering uh, digital asset services to retail or institutional customers? Uh, are they going to be offering crypto native tokens or stable coins or both? Where do they want to be drawing that line? Do they want to uh, pr uh, act uh, to uh, support some of the, the riskier tokens such as privacy coins? Um, and then what services do you want to be providing? Um, it, there's sort of one of the lower risk services from a uh, financial crimes compliance perspective is offering crypto buy and hold services, meaning that um, you are only offering your customers the ability to, uh, to, to buy crypto, but not to send it off platform. Um, and that's a good starting place for a lot of institutions. And then you can sort of branch out from there to allow off platform transfers to allow uh, interactions with the blockchain. Um, and for all of this, you really want to think about what, uh, what your position to do in-house versus, uh, versus outsourcing some of these services. Well, what are the benefits of doing it in-house versus outsourcing and, and vice versa? Because I do think that is an active topic of conversation for these big institutions trying to figure out, should we build it or should we, should we seek to do this in an outsourced manner? Yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about there and a lot to really unpack. I mean, one thing you want to think about is crypto custody. Do you have the in-house exper expertise to, uh, uh, to develop a, a really sophisticated, safe um, uh, custody platform? Uh, or do you want to outsource that? And, you know, here I'm, I'll, I'll admit to a little bit of self-interest because uh, a lot of companies work with us to let us do the custody for them because we have that uh, particular expertise. You want to be thinking about and we can get into more details of this if you want, but uh, you know, hot versus cold versus warm wallet custody. Um, you want to think about uh, how well positioned are you to continue to modernize um, your, your in-house uh, systems if you're going in-house um, as the technology and as the risks continue to evolve. Uh, so you know, a, a lot to think about there. Absolutely. I think we've seen in uh, traditional compliance as well as in offering cryptocurrency, um, sometimes if you develop this in-house, the risk is the ongoing modernization requirement and the um, expectations of the regulators, which continue to grow and expand. And so sometimes banks make an investment in the first instance, but they're not able to keep up with the modernization and then they can get in trouble. We certainly saw that um, with traditional anti-money laundering compliance and financial crime where banks uh, tried to have their own internal system and the regulators really attacked it for not keeping up with the um, the changes. So I, I think there are definitely a lot of things for banks to think about in terms of how to best go about this to serve their customers, but to do it in a smart way that avoids the regulators. Uh, and DFS certainly has been a very active regulator, and I expect they'll be even more active in this space in the years to come. Yeah, com completely agree. And uh, you want to really be thinking about building for the long term if you're if you're building in-house. Um, and if you're outsourcing, you want to know that, you're, uh, that, that your outsourced provider um, has the regulatory structure and is itself building for the long term and can uh, really innovate. Because, you know, ultimately, uh, if you're a regulated financial institution, you are responsible for the risk, even if you outsource it, as you know, and therefore uh, you need to, uh, to to be working with the right partner and thinking through the risks in a, uh, in a very uh, mature and, uh, and thorough way.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think on our next podcast, we are going to do really a deep dive into what are the regulators thinking now and how can you best protect yourself uh, from getting in their crosshairs. And of course, you're one of the best folks to ask about this because you sat in the seat of the regulators and now, of course, are uh, in-house significant leader in the industry. So thank you so much, uh, Dan, for joining us today. I'm really looking forward also to our next uh, discussion, continuing this uh, uh, interesting topic. Thanks for having me, Julie. Uh, please, uh, listeners, join us again next week when I continue my discussion with Dan. As I mentioned, we'll be talking about uh, the regulators, where they're going, and what you can do to make sure you're prepared. Until then, of course, if you need any assistance assessing your compliance program or thinking through these issues, please visit our website at guidepostsolutions.com. Thank you. <music>